many of the policies that we're still operating under are still racist policies. It's the same lie. 34 years. And they began to recognize that they had been moved from pillow to post. We lost our home, and we also lost our community. Hey everyone, welcome to Our Fires. I'm Noah Dunham. Thanks for tuning in to the third part of our three-part series about the displacement of Portland's black population. If you haven't yet, we highly encourage you to go back and listen to the first two episodes in which we highlight the stories of Obi Hill, a local historian who is a survivor of the Vanport flood, and also of Donna Maxey, a Portland civil rights activist and a teacher who shared with us her memories of Portland's Albina neighborhood, the once economically vibrant center for Portland's black citizens. With this, our last installment of our series, we'll be hearing the story of the Davis family, a third-generation Portland family whose home is at the center of a struggle that began in the 1980s and continues today. Now, what's going to make this episode a little different is that much of this story is going to be coming from audio taken directly from the records from Portland City Council. What's also going to make this a little different is that our narrator slash host, Mr. James Dixon, won't quite be in his regular role for this episode, but he is joining me nonetheless. Hey there, James. Hello. How's it going? I'm doing good. Surviving this crazy world and ready to tackle this. Yeah. (laughs) Full transparency. At the time of James and I being in the studio together, we were masked up. Um, We are sitting six feet apart for this recording. It's in the middle of the worldwide pandemic known as COVID-19. So, James, I thought it might be a little more interesting for you if you got to hear this audio from this city council meeting for the first time and I just get your reactions to what's going on. Does that sound okay? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, cool. So some context here. James and I have been working and talking with Cleo Davis, one of the central figures of the story, for quite a while now. And full disclosure, Cleo is actually credited as a consulting producer on this series. So I met Cleo back in 2016 while he and his wife, Kayeen Davis, were starting the Black Williams Project, which is an epic permanent public art installation that runs up and down North Williams Avenue that highlights the historic landmarks and figures in Albina. Now, during the course of making this audio series, we talked to Cleo a lot. I mean, a lot. For anyone who has been close to this project... They have known that this has been a long time in the making, and part of that has been because of the pretty considerable developments that have occurred in Cleo and Kayeen's life and work. Since I first met Cleo and told him that I wanted to talk to him about his work in the Albina community, he always had this air of mystery about him. He was consistently alluding to some big things that he and Kayeen were working on, but he was also consistently cagey in regard to his family history and sharing his personal stories about growing up in Portland. And Kayeen and Cleo were up to some really big things at this time when we started talking, on top of starting an art collective that was essentially tasked with creating public art that would honor the black community, but also educate a new population of, you know, pretty much affluent white people that were moving into Albina. They were also put into residence at the Portland Archives and Records Center, which is in City Hall, and are also in the middle of doing similar public art on Alberta and Mississippi. And so it was surprising when I got a call from Cleo telling me to come to a Portland City Council meeting. And there I learned of the big project he'd been keeping a lid on this whole time, and also the history he hadn't fully revealed. Everybody, This is the Wednesday, January 16th session of the Portland City Council. Welcome. It's great to see some young people here today. How are you doing? 
Good. Y'all excited? Yeah, good. We're going to make this interesting and fun. Carla, would you please call the roll? Yes. Fritz? Here. Fish? Here. Hardesty? Here. Udaly? Here. Wheeler? Here. Okay, so James, do you recognize any of these names and slash or any of the voices? I recognize uh, Joanne Hardesty's voice and Amanda Fritz's voice. I've I've met with them both, and I, I recognize the other two commissioners' names as well. Okay, so James is on the up and up in terms of knowing some of the key Portland politicians. Um, and so the role was Amanda Fritz, uh, the late Nick Fish, Joanne Hardesty, Chloe Udaly, and then Mayor Ted Wheeler. Uh, Ted. That was the f- first voice you were hearing. And something to note for the audience here is at the time of this recording, Joanne Hardesty was actually the most recently elected city council member, and she was also the first black woman to ever serve on Portland City Council. Thank you very much. First item up is item number 47, please, Carla. Authorized relocation and placement of the Mayo House, 2236 Northeast Sacramento Street. Change comprehensive plan and zoning map designations from residential 2500 R2.5 to mixed-use urban center CM3 at 236 Northeast Sacramento Street and 2313 WINE Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard waive certain charges and requirements, retain the Mayo House on the historic resource inventory and as a contributing structure. Okay, so James, did you catch any of that? Do you have any idea what they're talking about yet? It sounds like they're wanting to relocate a home, change the zoning map, and then uh, keep uh, keep the zone as mixed use, meaning they're going to move the home, allow you to retain some kind of historic value, but allow businesses to be built there. It sounds like they're being gentrified. Interesting. Okay, yeah, James has got good guesses going. Colleagues, we're here today to hear public testimony on a proposed relocation effort with the move of the historic Mayo House, which is located in the Elliott neighborhood. So it, it's, it's a house move. Yes, right. It's a house move. You called it. Um, so let's keep hearing a little bit more of that. There's some testimony that we're going to hear. I'll, I'd like to invite BPS Interim Director Joe Zender and staff Nan Stark and Brandon Spencer Hartle up to tell us a little bit more about this ordinance, which will be heard on an emergency basis today. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, We have a very short presentation on this project to to give you. Brandon's first going to walk through the property and sort of what the action, the history of the property and what the actions are. Nan's going to talk us through the elements that are contained in the ordinance, and I'll wrap up by discussing the STC waiver in particular. So with that, I'll turn it over to Brandon. So far, Noah, I'm not getting how this is connected to Clio. Yes, totally. And I didn't either when I was at this city council meeting. So let me just summarize. Um, these employees uh, are of the Bureau of Planning and Sustainability, and they're getting up there and letting us know that this house, the Martin Mayo House, built in 1895, has resided in the Albina neighborhood since it was built. The house has also been ranked by the city as a significant historical architectural resource And after being moved twice, it is now residing on a lot that was being redeveloped. And not five days prior to this city council meeting, a permit for demolition had been issued for the house. So what is being proposed to the city council is a new ordinance to govern the move of the house again. Where this gets interesting is where the house will be moved to. Nan Stark explains. My name is Nan Stark. I'm the uh, Northeast District Liaison with Bureau of Planning and Sustainability. And... um, 
I will briefly review the ordinance with you, um, but first I'm just going to give you a little background on how we got here today. In my role as a district liaison, I try to connect the community with issues and concerns related to city government. And in this case, I reached out to let people know about the 120-day notification for the possible um, demolition or deconstruction of the Mayo House uh, to see if we could find uh, collaboratively a new location for the house. And um, at that time, I also met with the owner's representatives of the, of the Mayo House property, um, knowing that they had a redevelopment in mind, and that's why they needed to remove the house. Um, but I did want to alert them early on that, that this was um, a community priority to try to save the house and to kind of get that on their timeline. Um, and also with Brandon's help, uh, he reached out to the preservation community. And through all that effort, um, the Davis family stepped forward. They own a property three doors down from the Mayo House, also on Sacramento Street. So it's a, it's a rare opportunity that you're going to find a relocation spot so close by. Um, and then we also had a consulting team step forward who has a lot of experience in, in doing historic house moves. So it's been a collaborative effort all along. Um, and, and since that time, uh, I've learned from the Davises about the history of their property. And um, Cleo Davis will tell you more about that history today. It included removal of the apartment house that you see on the screen on the left that was considered blight property in the early 1980s. That structure was identified as a cornerstone of community property uh, for its association with the African-American community. Mm. Let's take in there. That is a lot. It's, it's one, it, you know what this reminds me of? It's like, it's like someone's knocking on your door and it's like, so by the way, we've decided that we're going to either A, tear down your house, but you've got four months to, to move it if we deem it having value. Oh, yeah, 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 totally. Uh, and trying to navigate all of this terminology. I couldn't imagine being an older person or someone who doesn't understand all this stuff and having to figure out what they're going to do next. Yeah, totally. I mean, that, moving it, parts. I, during the city council meeting when I was there, it was like the first time I, w I witnessed like all of the like ins and outs and bureaucracy that people have to navigate just to like talk about zoning in the city. Mm -hmm. But let me give some con some more context and more backstory. So, so basically the backstory that the Bureau of Planning and Sustainability is giving here is that the proposed site for the possible house move, this Mayo house move, is to the property that Cleo's family owns that's right down the block. And what's more, it's a site of a housing complex that their family owned that was demolished by the city back when they considered many black-owned structures in Albina to be blighted. This was known as red tagging a practice prevalent in the 1940s to the 1990s where the city could tag properties that they considered to not be up to code or public standards. These homes and properties were then either zoned for demolition or repossession by the city. Cleo's family dealt with this exact kind of situation, which we'll let Cleo tell us more about. Good afternoon, Mayor and Commissioners. Oh... So much has already been said. I've been racking my brains the last. Can you put your name on the 
My name is Cleo Davis, Jr. Thank you. And you're welcome. Um, I've been racking my brains for the last couple weeks of about what I was going to say here. And I pretty much started off with saying that it was an honor to be here, which, eh, it's, it's not. So let's, let's be truthful. Um, in no disrespect to the, to the current panel, My family has had a long history here in Portland, as, as well as many other African Americans in this community. Um, our story is not necessarily unique. The, the only difference with this story is that it's actually documented. It's something that I remember, and it's something that I can dig out proof um, from the city archives. And we have all the proof. A lot of it done in art down on the first floor. My grandmother, Mama Julia Davis Williams, purchased this property in 1982 in the hopes of having it as rental income. She wasn't from Portland. This was her vacation stay from Phoenix, Arizona. When, it, when the weather got hot, her and her family, including my father and his siblings, would uh, come to Portland. To, it was a lot cooler than Phoenix. But eventually, by the 80s, I was already born and that branch of the family had made a home here. And one of the ways of income that my grandmother really went for and instilled in her family was property. You own property, and you'll always have a place to stay. And no one can tell you what to do with it, whether it's residential for a place to stay or whether it's commercial for you to do your work because no one's going to hire you. You make your own living. So in 1982, she purchased this property with a seven-unit apartment building in the front and a small serving quarters in the back for $20,000. All of her children... were builders. My father, well, let me slow down. Every single one of my uncles, as well as my dad, could build a structure from the ground up. But they had a specialty. My father's specialty was electric. So, Although that he could build a building from the ground up. He specialized in electric and bringing energy to a building. His younger brother 
was a structural engineer, a civil engineer who specialized in structural capabilities. Oldest brother was a carpenter, a roofer, could put any pitch, any, any type of complicated gables onto a structure. And the second oldest was a mason. He could do any type of brickwork that you could think of. Parquet, do designs, put, put your name in brick. That's just a little bit of background. And my aunt, their only sister, was more into the management and the financial side of things. So when my grandmother looked at this place, she saw that this would be a source of income for, from the, for the family. Well, it had a blight ordinance on it from a previous, another Davis family, another black Davis family. And back then, it wasn't easy. It ain't easy today either. I'm saying black back then. It wasn't easy to get property. So there were, there's all kind of stories where black folks had to work together or get um, the, na- the neighborhood that we live in was previously occupied by Germans and Ashkenazi um, Jews who would help us, who would put their name on the deeds and then transfer it to us. So, th- so gaining property for black folks, not just in Portland but in America, has always been a difficult task. Wealth building. We've, we, we've been the ones that been exploited. And every time we try to come up, it's ripped right from us by anything. N- nuisance laws, bogus racist policies, so just to keep us as the workers or to kill us off. But back to the story. I may go on tangents, but it's all, it's all applicable to what I'm saying. So the city was upset. We weren't aware of any of the urban policies and the plans and near the Lloyd District or um, what property value was going to be worth. My family, what we did, we were builders, creatives, and we went fishing. We didn't go to council meetings. We weren't in the know like that. Um, we had other interests. So when, we, when my grandmother purchased it in 1982, the city was upset because it restarts the clock of getting things up to code. So it was very difficult because my grandmother fought. And she went to council. She fought till 1984 for those, those two structures. They were both set to be condemned. And council shot it down. Council said, <clears throat> no, the structure is unfit. If you look at the structure, and my, and my uncle, 
being a civil and structural engineer, they wouldn't allow them to, we weren't allowed to, we were allowed to submit permits, but permits weren't granted because we had to have a $50,000 bond in 1982 in order to do this. Who has $50,000 to just let, let stay away with no interest? So council shot it down and that's why I'm saying it's not necessarily an honor to be here. Um, it's cool in the memory of my grandmother, Mama Julia, and my family that's here supporting me, and my dad who has, you know, been to through everything with my grandmother, as well as um, taking her to the doctor due to high blood pressure coming to meetings and dealing with uh, city ordinances and dealing with the um, notifications coming in through the mail and so on and so forth and all the stress. There's, there's, there's human harm. There's damage done here. And that's really what I'm, I want to address and get you guys to understand. It's just not, for me, it's not just about policies and what we can and can't do. We create policies as as humans to help humanity. But many of the policies that we're still operating under are still racist policies that only benefit a few. So basically what I'm here to say is do the right thing. Do the right thing and and pass this through. That's crazy. It's crazy. It's like uh, all, every everything that's happened from the time black people were liberated up until present day has been about telling people what they have to do to get, you know, my mother told me when I was a kid, she said, if you want what they have, you do what they do. That's what my mother told me when I was 12 years old. Oh, my gosh. And... <laughs> And I, I'm, I'm, you know, I was just listening to him. I'm shaking my head the whole time. I was like, mm-hmm. yep, did that check mark, check mark, did that, got the degree, got the permit. But, you know, it's still a system that's not built for what I call black resilience, you know, like yeah, something sure. to really set us up. And it's kind of, it's really sad to hear it. I know, right? So, you know, we got more things to hear in terms of the city council meeting too. But I also wanted to note here, and it's covered in other testimony that we won't be playing um, in this episode, but you can actually dig all this stuff up into the, the archives of city council. If anybody wants to hear this unedited, you can do that. But something else to note is that when Cleo asked the council to put this through, he's not just talking about the house move. Um, with moving the house, the proposed ordinance is also calling for a rezoning of the property to be mixed use. And then you noted this earlier, James, so that Cleo and his family can use it as both residential and commercial as a property was originally meant to be. But with this rezoning the move, there are fees and other hoops that come from the city. Um, And so what Cleo and the people from the Bureau of Sustainability and Planning are asking is that the city waive these fees since they are ultimately symbolic of the $50,000 barrier that Cleo's family originally faced when trying to gain some wealth in Portland, which you had talked about earlier. But yeah, that's really smart. It's really smart on Cleo's on Cleo's end, and I think it's an easy move for a city 
to look at something like this and want to do that. But as I listen to this right now, I'm not exactly convinced you're that it's going to happen. You're I'm not because that, that nothing. We just don't win. No, we don't win. Well, we, yeah, <laughs> and Cleo's family tried to appeal this bond too, like multiple times. Apparently, they came back to city council, being like, "Why do we have to pay fifty thousand dollars? I can't believe you would have us do this when we could fix it ourselves, and that's expensive enough, right?" And so they came to appeal that it's egregious. It's its egregiousness, and um, Cleo Senior. Uh, Cleo's dad, which he referenced in the prior segment there, he has more to say about that. So, my name is Cleo Davis. And I'm uh, 78 years old. Looking good. <laughs> and uh, this place brings back memories. Because when I first walked into this building with my mom, we was happy. Seen a black person on the committee. Oh. And after we got through talking, me and my mom walked out of here sad. Then I had to take her to the hospital. They was gone. They were gone. Those are both of the places. One thing I learned in life when you live history, you don't have to read all that history. And I'm not no educated person, so. That's how I found out. You don't, if you live history, you don't have to read history. They have to do it. They have to do it. I don't. And one thing I learned, and don't hold this against my kids, that's why I'm saying it. Please, don't take this out of on my kid, because I'll be dead pretty soon. But that's what I say. They'll have to live, and they'll have to continue this. And I always told them, you don't want to make none of these city people unhappy. Because if you do, you're doomed. Me, I'm old. I don't care about making them unhappy. Because I done lived my life and seen all the prejudice and stuff. Whenever you have to get up and beg and tell the city, and they tell you, you got to put $50,000 up to save your places, don't we go and doze them? Then you sit down here and you beg them, and then they say, Oh, that's right. They feel sorry for, them, for my mom. And you know what the feeling sorry did? To us, it was a good thing. At least we were saving one. They say, You got a choice. 
you either put $50,000 up, or well, what about the interest on the $50,000 was a lot of money back in them days. Mm -hmm. What about the interest when we bring the $50,000 and put it up here? What y'all? No interest. Well, we about to start a death anyway. My mom on Social Security. Now, 34 years from now, I'm on Social Security. <laughs> and I'm back in the same place. And just like I try to tell my kids, trust nobody. Because if they tell you something and they don't write it down and you don't sign it, if you don't make agreement, in two days they can change. They can switch over. <laughs> That's what you did. It's the same lie 34 years ago. I'm not feeling sorry for myself. I'm feeling sorry for the rest of the people and my family because they're going to they gonna have to take this fight on. <laughs> I'm too old now. So my mama always believed in faith. Well, you got to have some. You know how to eat. Church ladies, church people go to church and all they believe in faith. You got to believe in faith. I don't believe in faith. You know what I believe in? When you go to the casino, do you take faith with you or do you take luck? I'm taking luck with me when I go to the casino. I don't want no faith. Faith let me down. I want luck. So, one thing I want to do, I want to be proved wrong. I want to believe what my mother believed in faith. So, if you pass this, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to my mama's grave. And I'm going to tell my mom that she was right. And I was wrong. Because you do have, have to have faith, not luck. But I'm going to tell you, <laughs> when you walk into this place to me, and I forgot my rabbit foot. I should have brought it. I hope I can have faith in them. I'm not going here to try to sugarcoat my talking. Just don't take this out on my kid. That's all I got to say. Well Thank said. You, Thank you. Hmm. It was the line about the history that got me. The one where... Um, he said that, you know, you don't have to read and learn about history when you're living it. And then 
talking about how he handled being in this place with his mother and now being where she was with his kid and his kids are here and he's like it's the same thing yeah. you know i you told us to believe into the in this system which we can say about a lot of things in america yeah for sure uh and these tools were never built for were, were these tools were built for a very specific demographic to to succeed and people and for some folks they don't really see it that way yeah you know? totally yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah, and I mean, I thought it was, uh, what I think is really interesting about this, too, is that he's basically saying to everyone who's there, and just to paint a little bit more of a picture, like, this is a huge crowd. It was packed. And a lot of, like, the people from the black community who were in support of this had come out, and it was, like, generational. There was, like, kids that were, like, maybe four years old there, all the way up to people, like, Cleo Davis Sr.'s uh, age. It was, it was, and so he's talking as much to the city council members that are out in front of him as everybody else in the room. And I, I mean, I think he's basically saying this, like, it could go away like this, right? Like, there's all this buildup to the city council meeting, but all it has to say, all, all it takes is one of those city council members to say, now, actually, I, I don't want this to happen, that it could just go away. So it's pretty high stakes um, in the council chambers because, you know, as he said, I think he said they came back now 34 years later to ask the city for help again when their pleas originally to do what's right, fell on deaf ears. Mm -hmm. um, but I think there's symbolic states, stakes here that you're picking up on as well, James. And actually, Cleo's wife, Keen, has a little bit more to say about that, too. Good afternoon, Mayor afternoon. and Commissioners. My name is Keen Talton Davis. I am married to Cleo Davis, Jr. Um, Cleo and I have both, as our families have, resided in this city for quite a while. Um, my story here in Portland, my family's story here in Portland actually starts at the turn of the century. My, my great-grandfather owned a business here at the time where black folks were being chased out of town and it was illegal for them to live here, much less own property. And so many times throughout Portland's history, it seems like that law has never gone away. You heard from Cleo about um, how hard it was for black people to purchase properties. There were things within the deed saying it couldn't be owned, it couldn't be passed on, they couldn't live in the house, all these things. Um, and what I will say to you is that one of the things that Cleo and I specialize in is looking at that history, is looking at how that history has affected Portland and not only from the side of just the law side, but what does the black community look like that's living through situations like that? What does the black community look like where you're not allowed to eat in certain places? Well, you build what you can build. You go and you work with your family. You work with your community. You develop what you can develop. And so when you have the opportunity as a older woman to purchase a apartment building, to try to build that up and build something for your family to create wealth within your family, because isn't that what we're all supposed to do, is to create wealth for our families, that it might be passed on and that our children and their children might have something to start with and not start from the bottom. But when you are taken, or when you have that taken away from you, and as you heard from Mr. Davis, that it had some serious health effects for his mother, that it's not only, again, a physical issue, a monetary issue, it's a legacy issue. And what Cleo and I are trying to do, what the family is trying to do, is to resurrect that legacy is to create a legacy in which not only is it a financial 
help for the family to create wealth, but also to create for the city of Portland a wealth of knowledge about the black community, about the black arts, and about what people have done within this community in a location that was formerly a cornerstone for the community. I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with the cornerstone, cornerstone inventory, but it is a list of homes within Portland um, that were significant historically to the black community. And I'm not sure how many of those still exist to this day. I know I haven't seen very many of them after looking at the list. And that's a shame because it's important. It's important to see where your grandparents grew up, where your parents were involved, and know, have a place to the stories because without knowing the context, a lot of it gets lost. Thank you. Legacy. What family, but what family doesn't want that? You know, I, I had a similar um, conversation with someone talking about like nonprofits and how to diversify boards and things like that. You know, and this is a different topic, but it's actually the same. You know, when you think about the average white American family has about $100,000 in savings and the average African American family has about $11,000 in savings. So how do you generate wealth? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you, I mean, $50,000 today is a lot of money. Yeah, for sure. Uh, then it's, it's, it's an unattainable amount of money um, for a family like this when the people weren't giving people property, people weren't giving people jobs or equal pay, you know? Um, and it makes me upset. It makes a lot of us upset because the response is, hey, grab yourself up by your bootstraps. Hey, go to school, work hard, you'll do great. A lot of us, including myself, I've, I've been, you know, I've done that, and still, and it's still an uphill battle, you know. And so, how do you build resiliency for your kids? How do you? What do you have to? I mean, I, I'm thinking, about what do I have to live for? I'm not saying I have nothing to live for, but it's just like, wow, we can't. I can't buy this property for my family. We put the money down into it. We've got. We built the skill sets to take care of it. Yet I can't make anything happen because one person says that basically says I'm not worthy. That's basically what we're hearing is we're not worthy of the property. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So there's a ton of other testimony from the black community as well as other people that stood up and wanted to talk about this issue. And it became clear that this wasn't just about a house move. This wasn't just about a rezoning. There was, you know, higher stakes, uh, you know, higher stake results that were going to happen. Um, if this city council vote were to happen that day. So, you know, would the city council vote to help the Davis family out and not only save this historical home, but right a wrong the city was responsible for decades ago? Find out on the next episode of Our Fires. (laughs) 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 No, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that to you, James. No, please. So the council votes... And so, and there's also some pretty powerful words from the council members here. So let's let's hear from the city council. Is that complete testimony, Carla? That's all I'm saying. All right. With that, um, is, are there any other questions from council? Did you want to see any other staff members? Uh, let's start with the amendment that was on the table. If we could call the roll on the amendment, please. Fritz. Aye. Fish. Aye. Hardesty. Aye. You daily. Aye. Wheeler. All right, the amendment's adopted. Now to the main motion as amended. Please call the roll. Fritz. Thank you to the Davis family for coming today. Um, like the Historic Landmarks Commissioner mentioned, uh, I thought I was just coming to a, a discussion about a historic house, and instead you have really honored us with your presence. I feel blessed that I was here to listen to your history, to um, understand more deeply and more personally 
the experiences that you have had and you and your family have had here in Portland. Um, and I'm just so impressed that you dared to hope that things would be different this time because for centuries things have not been different and I think the city is starting to, has started to recognise that um, and it's really tough for those who um, have been told no so many times and who have been um, dishonoured so many times. So uh, thank you also for changing the rules for everybody. We are going to do that, I'm sure, that the, you shouldn't have had to have come here on a, on a Wednesday afternoon with your whole family, although I'm glad you did, in order to get something that we all agree is, is the right thing to do. And so I would like you to know that I think you will have changed the rules for everybody, um, and I appreciate your willingness to do that. I am mindful that the reason this house needs to be moved is because the site is going to be redeveloped and that that's what happened to your grandmother's house, that, that, that we, the, the blight that was going to be this great new place that the council thought was going to make things better. And so later this year, we're going to be looking at ways to add more housing in Portland, and I will be remembering that we need to also be uh, careful not to encourage demolition of um, old homes, affordable homes, homes in general. And, and thank you for that. Um, children, thank you so much for being so well-behaved and quiet and sitting still. And um, you're just a, a wonderful group of people. And I want you to hear what I'm saying in terms of it's up to the next generation to fix the mistakes of the previous one. And at some, when, when you're, even now, but as you grow up, you will be called upon to fix climate change and all of the other um, things that my generation and the generations before have not done as well as we have made a mess of. And so I feel really honoured that um, I get to help fix the uh, um, appalling things that have happened here in Portland, not only in this, but in the other efforts that the city is working on. And so uh, it's, it's, just, it's really wonderful that you came and you're participating and you are seeing, you are part of history now even though you're such tender age. Thank you to Nan Stark for reaching out to the neighborhood in the first place and for knowing your neighborhood that you're assigned to, um, to Brandon Spencer Hartle, Matt Wickstrom, and Joe Zender for being uh, the white allies who said yes and that, yes, we're going to help you, we're going to help get this done. Thank you to Cynthia Castro on my staff. I'm really honored to vote aye. Okay, so that's an aye from Fritz. The late Commissioner Nick Fish also votes aye, and now it's Commissioner Hardesty. I want to start off by thanking you for the history lesson. When I moved to Portland January 1st, 1990, I would scratch my head sometime and go, what's, what's this about, right? Because there was nobody calling your names to your face. There was no one doing anything directly to you as an individual. But it was very clear that we are... Um, we are still living our white supremacist legacy in Oregon. Over and over and over again, when development happens, African Americans are displaced. It's called uh, progress, is what they tell us it is. When 10,000 African American homeowners were displaced out of inner Northeast Portland between 2000 and 2010, no one declared a housing emergency then. 
So I am so thrilled to have this front row here of these young, beautiful, I hope all girls, because I think I'm seeing all girls, am I right? Okay, I want to apologize if there was a boy over there. Okay, it's just, a, okay. Um, I want them to look up at this podium and know that in 20 years, you could be sitting right here. It took 167 years to make that happen, but let's not wait another 167 years before the next African-American woman is sitting in this seat. I want to say uh, to your family, I am sorry for, the, for how you were treated by your city when you were trying to make an investment in your city. Um, and unfortunately, your story I've heard over and over and over again in the almost 30 years I've lived here. It wasn't right then. It was, isn't right today. And uh, I just wanted to tell you, uh, Mr. Uh, Davis Sr., you didn't need your rabbit foot today. You came with the truth. And some days the truth wins out. I want to say to Junior, I, I felt your passion. I absolutely understand every word that you said and why you said it. And I thank you for it. I absolutely vote aye. Okay, so that's three ayes. Commissioner Chloe Udaly comes next. She also votes aye. And with this quorum on the council, we are now down to Mayor Ted Wheeler. I really can't add anything to what my colleagues said, except uh, I have to add my voice to Commissioner Hardesty and apologize on behalf of the city to the way your family was treated. It was wrong. It was an injustice. It was racist. It was mean-spirited. And Cleo, I actually appreciate the fact that you sort of did the net present value of the lost opportunity to your family. I think you said it was about $2.5 million. And that's a story that is repeated over and over and over again. And in addition to the injustice and the deception and the racism that went into that kind of displacement, which, by the way, was sanctioned by our city's leaders, both in the public and in the private sector, there were true economic prosperity costs and there were true wealth generation costs that manifest themselves to this day. And that's the important lesson for me that we have to remember. This isn't something where we can say, oh, well, you know, it's 2019. We don't do that anymore. Um, you know, this problem doesn't exist anymore. That was back then, back in the day, decades ago. Uh, well, here's the reality. The reality is from an economic perspective, what happened decades ago has an impact on the generational wealth of African Americans today in this community. And that in turn impacts opportunities around prosperity, job development, education, even health outcomes. Uh, it all comes back in full circle. So you were right to be here and to call it out and speak, uh, as Commissioner Hardesty said, speak truth to power. Um, so you have my apology. It's not worth much. 
actions are worth a lot more. Uh, I do not believe that through this action we can actually uh, make up for what happened in the past. I don't actually personally believe that, so I'm not going to say it. But I do believe we can pay it forward. I do believe that through our actions and through our leadership and through our commitment, we can move in a different direction. And you've provided us sort of the perfect symbolic template to do that by having three generations of the family here, having the kids here uh, to be part of this. And at the end of the day, I'm going to remember this as one of the most positive things I have personally uh, had the opportunity to participate in as a member of this city council in over two years. I see this as hugely important and hugely positive. And Mr. Davis Sr., um, I don't know how many times I'm going to go back and listen to your testimony, but it is many. You gave us a lot to build from, and uh, I'm appreciative of that. I always love it when I come to council, and I think I'm going to, yeah, I'll just confess this. Uh, it's not always thrilling. <laughs> a lot of the stuff we do here is really boilerplate. It's down in the weeds. I agree with my colleagues who said they thought... And I thought I'd talk to you about mumbling under your breath. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, we, we, we've, you know, on paper, this looked like it was going to be another one of those hearings, right, colleagues? Another one of those hearings. Um, but we talked about uh, some really lofty issues here. We, we heard about hope which is truly important. We heard about justice, which is truly important. And the part that really hit home with me, Mr. Davis Sr., is the conversation about faith. And that's something I come back to personally a lot. Because we are in a time where it is actually too easy to question one's faith and the way things are. And the way you reconnect with that faith or that sense of hope or that sense of optimism in the future is through attachment to the community. It's through being part of something and belonging to something larger. And what the black community in Portland experienced was an intentional, systematic disconnection and dislocation that also has manifestations for today. But I see this societally as well. And you see people's confidence in institutions and even confidence maybe in self and uh, belief, that, that special spark of faith under siege. And um, you talked so lovingly about your mother. and her experience here in this chamber. And it's so disappointing for me to hear those stories. I hear them a lot, unfortunately, but it's so disappointing for me to hear that story and to think she came here with you, a young man, all excited, and left ultimately very disappointed to the point where she felt the need to go to the hospital. So um, I am really quite pleased that we get to do something bigger here than just support the House move. And by the way, thank you uh, to the Davises for Kyan and, and, and Cleo for, for taking the lead on, on trying to get this going. And I, I'd be remiss if I didn't thank Karen Carlson, Rick Michelson also for, for their hard work and the Bureau's great work. Um, but isn't it ironic 
that at the end of the day, the most meaningful thing we're doing here today isn't moving a house or uh, approving a zoning change. Um, Mr. Davis, we're, we're sending you to speak to your mom. Faith having been restored. I vote aye. When was this recorded? When was this meeting again? January um, 2019. So it's been a while. It's been a while, huh? Oh, there's been a lot that's happened in Portland since then. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, that was like within the first, I think, I don't remember how the terms go for the city council members, but Hardesty had just been put on the council. Good for her and good for them. I um, It's just really interesting to hear. I was like, oh, they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. And you pre, I mean, it's that typical thing where we kind of have to show up. We have to show everyone that we're just like them. Mm-hmm. We have, we can't get too angry or we're too passionate or we're, or we're you know, once black folks start yelling, no one's listening. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the way it is. And you jump through these hoops and you just hope that this time, this time, maybe something will stick. Hearing him talk about hope was something that really resonated with me because, uh, and, and Ted Wheeler's right, a lot of times, I mean, that, a lot of that hope is rooted in community, mm-hmm. but how do you root in a community when you keep displacing it? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, um, so I'm fully aware, James, that after us exploring three different stories over the course of nearly a century, focusing on the displacement of black community in Portland, this is maybe too happy of an ending um while this is a success story for the davis family there are many many other stories out there that do not end with the city council making right the wrongs of portland's past racism and what's more while we have been putting this podcast together before and during a worldwide pandemic portland alongside many american cities has been facing a societal reckoning regarding the justice system in the face of so many black citizens being gunned down by police And Ted Wheeler, the mayor featured in this podcast, has not been popular during all this. Commissioner Hardesty has asked on a regular basis to take over the city's police force, calling Wheeler's continual use of force during our ongoing social justice protests to be a travesty. Now more than ever, Portland is still dealing with the sins of our past and present. But before we jump into yet another topic... We would like to close with one final conversation with Cleo Davis. I mean, it's just a kind of amazing to me, you know, has it, has it, has it really struck you yet that like you kind of with this result in the hearing that like you kind of made your art reflect life and vice versa? Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's what I was hoping to do. Yeah. So what was your question? I mean, that was that was just kind of like, you know, I'm just wondering if that if that like realization came to you at all, because it came to me. I mean, that's what I was fighting fighting to do the whole time. And that's why, I mean, I was doing this research before the house move even became a question. When I seen the house, that's when I said, oh, I can get. Now it will be brought to light. So without the house, it would have just been an exhibit, another exhibit. And I would have been saying, hey, no, I got this 
this exhibit, some artwork, this happened to my grandmother and blah, blah. And it'd just be like, oh, really, man, that's messed up. Okay, yeah. And I'm going to, you know, see if I can talk to council members and make a big stink about it and see since everyone's talking about equity and all this, all these buzzwords and transparency and writing past harms and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to see if they can put their, um, put some, put some action to their, their talk. So, yeah, I'm actually, I mean, I'm very excited. I'm very, like, this is something that you'd want to do. This is some, this is the impact that I wanted to make with art. Yeah, and I'm blown away. Like, art can prevail. I mean, there's a lot of pieces to, to go over in this. Um, one thing that kind of, one thing that comes to my mind is, you know, the support those those city planners that I that I was working with, you know, that that first group they were exceptional. They were phenomenal. It starts with people within a system willing to help and change a system. So like they could have blocked me. They could have said no, this that you know, I, of course, I would have argued and kept going, but they really wanted to change things. Once they found out, I mean, uh, originally it was about the house. It wasn't about our property. You know, the yeah. city was trying to save that house. Yeah. And then when they found that, you know, saving this house and they could save a house and right this wrong, begin to right the wrong. Man, so that's that's what we need to be doing today is righting wrongs and creating the opportunity for folks to be prosperous. this episode was brought to you by the Portland Hip Hop Collective, It's Future Time. Special thanks to Anthony DeMarco and Darren Todd for your help and your music. This episode was brought to you in part by the Regional Arts and Culture Council. Big thanks to xray.fm, Open Signal PDX, and KBU Community Radio for helping us with studio time. This episode was produced by me, Noah Dunham. Our co-host is James Dixon. Consulting producers, Cleo Davis, Donna Maxey, Obi Hill, James Dixon, and Jamal Landers. Sound editing done by Matt Harmon. Special thanks to Ron Atwood, Rebecca Atwood-Youngstrom, Phil Peterson, The Portland Mercury, and Vortex Music Magazine for your kind support of the show. Assemble all the pieces tight. I pray for later, cause looking back could turn me to salt. No actuators in my homeland, so I moved on out. Send home the money like a migrant worker. Watch them all decide to circle. Demons rest on short.